Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Chris, and it's uh, good to be with you on this cold, wintry day. Who knew that the groundhog would be telling the truth? And so here we are celebrating winter, and uh, I hope that you're at home snuggled up, warm, and drinking hot chocolate or coffee and uh, joining us this morning as we gather together in worship. Today, we're starting a new series entitled Godfidence, and the idea of this series is a study in Philippians in that as we understand from Paul that we are developing our confidence in who God is and how he has established himself and how we can grow in our love and experience with him. So over the next few weeks, we'll be studying the book of Philippians and beginning to gain confidence, not in ourselves, but in who God is and what he can and what he does for us and through us. So in just a few moments, if you have your Bibles, we'll be turning to Philippians chapter 1 and beginning there. As we get to the Philippians chapter 1, I just want to get, give you some background of Philippians. Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul, and Paul was in prison at this time. He was in prison several times, and uh, this is one of his, what we entitled the prison epistles. And so Paul was in prison. He was writing from prison and sharing some of his, some of his heart with different churches. And here, the church at Philippi was one of those churches that he started on his second missionary. And so one of the things that would be good for you to do is to go back and read Acts chapter 16 on your own and, and kind of see some of what, what happened in Philippi. But one of the things that happened was there weren't enough Jewish believers in Philippi whenever Paul went there on his second missionary journey. So he went to the outside of town where there was a place of prayer. There were some people that gathered at a river, and one of those people was Lydia. And Lydia became the first convert to Christianity in the city of Philippi. And she opened up her house, and from that place, Paul began to present the gospel, and the gospel took root in the city of Philippi. And so we're going to be hearing the story of now Paul is writing back to this group of believers, young believers in the faith, and Paul is sharing some encouragement to them. So if you have your Bibles, look with me in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3 together. It says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. Now, that's a great way to start. He's thinking about his friends. He's talking about that every time that he thinks of them, he begins to thank God because of who they are, how they've grown, but also the encouragement that they've given him. So Philippians 1 verse 4 says this, In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. Now, one of the things that we see in this passage here in verse 3 and 4 is that as Paul thinks about his friends, he's reminded of them, and every time he's reminded of them, he prays for them. And that's one of the things as followers of Jesus, as we think about friends throughout our journey in life, that one of the things that we should naturally do is pray for them. I know that you've got Facebook friends and Instagram friends and Snapchat friends and Twitter friends and all that. And so every time you see their face that is drawn to you, Paul says to us, I remember you and I pray for you. And I also give thanks for the friendship that, that, that we have, the way that we've been able to, to join together in friendship. And that also brings him great joy. That every time he remembers his friends, he prays for them, he gives thanks for them, and it also brings him great joy. And that's one of the themes of this book in Philippians is this idea of joy. And whenever Paul talks about joy, he doesn't talk about this sense of happiness, but a sense of joy that no matter what is going on around him, that the foundation of his life, the foundation of even his friendships, isn't about circumstances, but it's found in Jesus Christ alone. 
So that even as Paul thinks about his friends and he remembers them and he prays for them and he gives thanks for them, he even is reminded of the fact that the very joy, the very basis of their relationship, their fellowship, is found in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. It says, because of our partnership or your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So the reason that he was praying for them is because they've established a partnership together. Now this word partnership has a... It's a really cool meaning. It's a word that means it's the word is actually koinonia. And this idea of koinonia is a, a friendship, a relationship that is thicker than blood. It's a koinonia fellowship. It's a koinonia partnership because two people have an established relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that they have actually a covenant together through their covenant with Jesus Christ. With Jesus Christ. And I've experienced this whenever I've been able to travel all over the world. There's this kinship, there's this brothership, there's this sistership that we automatically just have this something in common. And that something in common, no matter the separation of our cultures, is that we're drawn together in deep fellowship, koinonia fellowship, because of what Christ has done in our life. And so here Paul is talking about that. He says, I remember our friendship, I give thanks, I pray, I have great joy because of the partnership. Because of the koinonia fellowship that we have together, it's thicker than blood, and I can have joy in that. Look at verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, that's going to be our verse for next week, so you can put a little note by it and asterisk it and study it maybe this week, but that'll be our verse for next week. But verse 7 it is right for me to feel this way about you, to, to have this confidence in you, to have this koinonia fellowship about you, since I have you in my heart and wherever I am in chains or defending the gospel, and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And again, he's drawing this kind of this, this what this friendship is about and that they have this fellowship together because of Christ. And even while he's in prison, he's reminded of the deepness of their fellowship and their friendship. Now, verse 8 and verse 9 and following are the verses we're going to kind of camp on this morning. Verse 8 says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, this is an interesting thing as well because this affection means literally from our bowels. And so that he's saying that, that I am moved in my bowels, which we would say that's kind of weird. But Paul, in those, in those days, when you, when you were moved by your bowels, it was the saying, I have a deep affection. I can feel, I know the affection that I have for you because of our deep fellowship that we have in Christ Jesus. And because of that deep affection, because of that movement from our bowels, he wants to pray for us. So in verse 9 of chapter 1, Paul says, because of this deep affection, because of this fellowship that we have together, because of this bond that we have in Christ, because of this bond that we've established in the beginning of the church in Philippi, Paul begins to pray four things for those people, this movement to pray for them. And there's four things that he prays for the people in Philippi. And the first thing that he prays for them is a growing love, a dynamic, God-like type love. They've, if you've been around church maybe for a little while or as a child, you sang the song deep and wide. That's why I don't sing deep and wide. And, and that's this, this idea of a God-like dynamic love that's continuing to grow deep and in its width that you can never fully experience the vastness of God's love. 
And that for us as followers of Christ, we've established a covenant with him and we're experiencing all of that. And as we experience and get to know how God loves us, the vastness of his love, we begin to show it to other people. We begin to show the depth and the width of God's love, not only for us, but for others as well. So the first thing that we see is that Paul prays for the church in Philippi, a growing love. And in that growing love, he talks about two things. He says, I want your love, and this is agape love, a God-like love. I want your love that it may be abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Now, the two things about the love that he wants to grow is a depth of knowledge. Now, this is the knowledge that's an experiential type knowledge, that you get to know God in such a way that you experience him, that it's not just a teaching, it's not just a, um, a moment of um, anything else, but it's just this moment of your experience. And so we're, we're understanding now that great teachers or really good teachers don't even don't just give you intellectual knowledge, but they give you experiential knowledge. So they don't just teach about Custer and all of that. They actually take you there. They don't just talk about some different things in science, but they actually take you there to experience the experiment of science. And so here Paul is saying, I want you to grow in your knowledge, not just an intellectual knowledge, but an experiential knowledge of the depth and the width of God's love. But he also says that I want you to have a growth in your understanding. Now, this is a moral understanding. So Paul is saying this, I want you to grow in your godlike love, and I want you to experience it. But then I also want it to show you that there's an understanding that you begin to make right decisions. Because you've experienced the vastness and depth of God's and width of God's love, therefore then you have a moral understanding, you have an understanding of why you should love others well. Because you've experienced God's love, therefore then it moves you and motivates you to act like Him. And that's the beauty of this passage. Maybe you've even been to a wedding, and one of the verses that's brought up in a wedding usually is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 and following. And what is it? This is kind of a description of the vastness and the depths of God's love. And it says this in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and it's kind. Love is not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no records of being wrong. It also says... It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, and is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. This is the vastness of the depth and the width of God's love. It's always kind. It's always patient. It never sees the end. It endures every circumstance. And so for us, Paul is praying for us that we would have this type of love, a growing love that abounds more and more like this. And that we can never, in this lifetime, we can never fully love in this way completely and perfectly. So we're always growing in this. But that the vastness of God's love, we can never exhaust it. So that we're constantly learning what it means to be loved and therefore in experiencing it, we're then passing it on to other people. That that's what Paul is saying to us. That I want you to experience the vastness of God's love so that you can share it with other people. A growing love. The second thing that Paul 
prays for us is not just a growing love, but also a discerning spirit. And this is a great passage of what it means to, that you want to be able to literally to test the weight of its gold. In the old days, whenever there, someone would bring you a coin, it wasn't, it wasn't uncommon for people to actually chisel off the edges of the coin because they were made of gold or they were made of precious metals. And so they would chisel off and they would keep part of that because they were, they were trying to cheat the system. And so here Paul is saying to you, I want you to have a discerning spirit in such that you can look at a coin and tell whether it has been chiseled off. It says this, so that you may be able to discern what is best. In other words, can you tell when something is counterfeit or when it's fake? Now, we understand that the way that we know that things we can test when something is counterfeit or fake is by knowing the real thing so well that when a $20 bill is put in front of us, we can see what a fake counter 20, counterfeit 20 bill is because we so know the real $20 bill, we quickly spot the fake things. And that is what Paul is saying to us, is that you should know and experience God and study God so well that when someone presents something to you that is fake, even slightly counterfeit, you can quickly counter it and see it. That you can test the metals and discern, is it worth its weight in gold? Because many times, the decisions that we have to make are the decision between what is good and what is best. And here Paul says to us, is that it's in those moments that the discernment of the spirit that God gives us is that we can determine, has something been chiseled off? Can we determine what the, the weight is, of it is in gold? The way that we can do that is if we're in tune with God's spirit, that he will confirm with us this is real or this is fake. Again, Paul wants us to grow in love, that the vastness and the depth and the width of his love is inexhaustible and that as we experience it we're going to be passing it on to others and there's going to be moments where there's a lot of good things before us and those good things are there but there's one thing that is best and the way that we can do that is through a spirit that's discerning and the way that we have that discerning spirit is to be with the one who can help us discern it to hear the whisper of this is the one the next thing that paul prays for us is to have a sincere life a life that is pure and blameless. Now this first word, pure, that we're about to see is, is an interesting word again. So a sincere life is pure and blameless. So pure, in this word, is without wax. So you're like, what in the world does that mean, without wax? Well, in the old days, they would make ceramics and they would sell them. And sometimes those ceramics would begin to chip or would break. And so what they would do, they would mix stuff, a, a concoction together of wax, and they would try to cover up the brokenness of, of the piece. And so there were actually merchants that would, on their signs, as you were walking into the store, it would say, our products are made without wax. In other words, they are pure products. Because there were others who were selling products with wax. So you thought you were getting a product of great quality, of great worth. Actually, you're getting something that was broken in the back of the store, and they had mixed up something and put it together, and were selling it to you, a used product, as if it was new. And so here Paul is saying to us is that our life, when it's held up to the light, you can see that it is a pure life without any wax. And so this idea kind of carried over into uh, our letter writing. And so now as we write this word, this term without wax and pure also means sincerely. And so in those old days, 
or even maybe now in some of your emails, you will say sincerely and sign your name. And what you're saying in that moment is what the things that I just said to you are without wax. They are pure and they are not false. That I am living and talking blamelessly. The things that I say are without wax. You can put them up to the light and know that they are true. So Paul is saying to us is that I, you should, we should be living such a sincere life that's pure and blameless that when your life is held up underneath the light, people will see not a mixture of anything else but of us as followers of Jesus Christ. A sincere life without wax. Pure and blameless. A growing love. Experiencing the depth and width and the vastness of God's love, that it's inexhaustible. And as we learn it and experience it, we're passing it on to others. That we develop a discerning spirit that we can literally determine if something is counterfeit or not and what's the best out of all the good things. And then also this sincere life that is the, the light shines off on us and we look and people look at our life and they say that's a sincere life, a life without wax. And the fourth thing that Paul prays for us is one of character. He wants us to live a life that's fruitful. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 11, it says this, that you should live a life that is filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now this fruit of the Spirit, this fruit of righteousness comes from character that is forged internally, that we're not formed from the outside, but there's a change and transformation that's happening from the inside. In other words, what are your guts made out of? When you're squeezed, what comes out of you? That's what Paul is saying. Life is going to get difficult. Followers of Jesus, life will get difficult. And when life gets difficult and you get squeezed, what comes out? The impurities or the without wax part? And so Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, Paul, in another letter writing to another church, shares the fruits of the Spirit, those things that come up. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. We've talked about the God-type love that's always growing and it's vast. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy that comes from our salvation, peace, and this is a peace that's a, a benevolent, like a benevolent ruler, that they rule over you, and it's a peaceful thing. They're not trying to take from you. They're trying to raise you up and to benefit you. That's the type of peace that Paul is talking about. He also says forbearance, that there's this long fuse, a long fuse of patience. In other words, God's long suffering with the dumb things we do. That that's the fruit, that we develop that as we experience God's grace with us, we're able to offer it to other people. Then also kindness. We might say sweet. Man, isn't that sweet? And uh, we may not use that a whole lot, but that's the idea of that goodness in that way. And then he also talks about the goodness of life. And so goodness is there's a strength to be able to have the courage to do and to say the right things in the right places. That you're, you're, uh, you just have this great strength. And so that same word is used whenever Jesus cleansed out the temple. That it was Jesus' goodness to have the courage to do the right thing under difficult circumstances. That's true for us. And he also says another fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness, that we're reliable, and gentleness, that we have a spirit that's teachable, we're willing to learn, which means that there are those moments where we're able to submit to someone else and to hear from them because they have something that's of worth and of value because just because they're a person. 
that everyone, all of us, have things to learn from other people. And then finally, self-control. This is a, a wonderful idea of an emperor that does not allow their personal interests to influence their governing. In other words, someone who has the ability to take for themselves what they want, but they choose to not do so for the benefit of other people. That that's what self-control looks like. So Paul, as he begins to think about his friends in Philippi, that the church that he's established in that place, he begins to pray for his friends as he remembers them. He gives thanks for them, and he's joyful for them. And he says, I want you to experience these things in Christ. A growing love, a discerning spirit, to be able to say that you live a pure and blameless life and that the character of who you are is being, the fruit is coming out and people are seeing a life transformed because of the fruit with which you are producing. That the transformation of your heart and your soul and your mind is being evident to your neighbors and to your friends and to your family. And God is seeing that in those moments whenever life is pressing in, that before the fruit was ugly fruit, stinky fruit, but now it is good fruit. There's actually a fruit in Thailand that I saw one time, and, and it is called stinky fruit. And we went and found it. We were on a long journey, and the, the missionary that was with us said, hey, do y'all want to see a stinky fruit? Like, as soon as I c- cut it open, y'all are going to, like, scatter because it smells. And I'm like, sure, why not? I'm game for this. And so we literally, we cut into the fruit, and immediately it was, people were like, people began to gag. It was stinky fruit. And so there are times in life that the life is pressing in around us and the stuff that comes out is stench. And what Paul says for us is that whenever life presses in on us as followers of Jesus, the fruit should not be stinky, but it should be pleasant. It should be something that other people see and they say, I want that. This morning, that's my prayer for you, is that you'll grow in your love, you'll grow in your discernment, that people will see a life without wax and they'll see the fruit of the Spirit growing because you're being transformed by Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that your love is so vast we can never exhaust it. That your love is deep and wide. Lord, I pray that it's each one that is hearing this message today, that they would know the vastness of your love. That it wouldn't just be an intellectual know that they've heard the stories, but Father, they have experienced the depth and the width of the love of Jesus Christ. That they've said yes to what Jesus did on the cross for them. And that they've experienced that God-type love that is extravagant. Father, I pray for each one that would have that growing love, that discerning spirit, a life that's without wax. And Father, that the fruit that we produce is not stinky fruit, but the fruit that others would say, I want to have a life like that. I want to see fruit like that in my life. And we know that the only way that that fruit can be produced is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, Father, today, that someone that does not have that, may that today be that day. May they say yes to Jesus. It's in your Son's name that we pray.